Good evening. One announcement. Next Tuesday, we will have a lecture. And after that, the following week, I'm going to be Bezrat Hashem in Israel. So we will have one time off. One Tuesday will be off. Uh, this lecture, I was just informed of, uh, of a dear Jew that passed away very young. This lecture will be Leilui Nishmat Nisan Yaakobov from Beit Gavriel in Queens. Someone that was very dear to the community. He got, unfortunately, cancer. Went to Israel with his children and wife and passed there. I'm actually giving you this news when his mother is on the way to visit him in a hospital, not knowing he passed. Every day I listen to things like this, read things like this, and I don't know how I'm able to even think anymore. Not to talk about, have ideas what to talk about, because it's very discouraging. The world, perhaps from what I've seen, has a lot more tragedies than 20 years ago. A lot more, not, not a little more. Like huge amount of tragedies. But it's not, it's not only us, it's the whole world. I'll give you an example. In the United States today, you have more typhoons and hurricanes, three times more than 100 years ago. It's exactly three times more. You know, the apicorsim, the infidels, they will say nature, they'll find all kinds of reasons, you know, global warming, the rest of their nonsense, which is baloney. There are 32, 32 countries that investigate global warming. 31 predict that, more, the, that the Earth and the, and, the, and the universe and all that is constantly on a rise. And all of them are wrong or lie. You decide. One gives an objective information. Who? The Russians. That's it. Only Russia is right. No glomer warming, no baloney. I guess in Russia they're not that liberals. All the liberal countries, they have a reason why they try to claim that the world has, you know, global warming because they don't want people to use plastics and all kinds of things. They have nothing else to do in their life. By the Russian, they're not so liberal. That's why in Russia you never have a gay parade. Russia, it's Europe. They're not stupid people. They have a lot of professors, doctors, a lot of uh, nuclear physics, you know, physics genius people. And in Russia, you don't have gay parade. You're not going to have gay statements on television or gay cartoon. They have some limits over there. You understand? But in other countries, they only get worse and worse. And the situation that yesterday I gave a lecture in, uh, in Queens. If you want to be very depressed, listen to it. If you don't want, skip it. Because it will make you very depressed with some of the information that I brought over there about the future of our nature and about the real situation that we're in, spiritually and physically, is very, very depressing. 
I don't mind. If you don't want to listen to it, don't listen to it. If you really want to know the truth, listen to it. But it's a, a killer. It's a killer. And the name of the lecture, if I remember correctly, is if there's any hope left, something like that. I have to see. It will come up probably tomorrow morning on the website and on YouTube. Today we'll try to focus more on Torah. Uh, we are, I'm still in the middle of uh, Parsha Dvayera, I'm going to finish it Bezrat Hashem today, but you know, for me when I teach the Parsha, it's not about the Parsha, it's about things from the Parsha that relates to us today. That's the only reason I speak about the Parasha. Why? Because in every Parasha you have things that it's a school for life for every human being, Jews and non-Jews, mainly Jews because we speak about Jewish topics. But definitely even for Gentiles. Some of the things is general knowledge. It's all humankind. Even the Goin can learn. There's no, there's no surprise that I have so many thousands of Gentiles listeners, as you can see in the comments. They changed their entire life. Many of them move uh, with the process to convert. Some of them left Christianity and became righteous Gentiles. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, Gentiles have a head. They think. They understand the difference between uh, being a, a, an idol worshiper or being a, or being a, a, a person that actually does not live according to his purpose. They see the heresy out there. They see their friends and their parents, the infidels around them, they see the way they live, and they begin to open up their eyes and see how not to be. Not everyone can be Jewish. Some of them live in a, the end of the world. There's no Jewish community. They don't have the, the money to move to a Jewish community or to find a kosher synagogue in a place, which will be a, a big obstacle because in order for a person to convert, he has to move to a community that you'll be able to get kosher food and kosher meat and there's a synagogue and holidays and people will invite him, especially the single ones, even families. If you don't live among Jews, you don't learn ever how to be a kosher Jew. Passing the conversion test and going into the mikveh and if you're a man having circumcised, that's only maximum 5% of becoming a kosher Jew. Lucky the Gentiles is that the Torah does not demand from them to be Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai or, the, or Rabbi Akiva, like perfect Jews. The Torah says, meaning the basics. It teach them the basic, the 13 principles, the Jewish holidays, the laws of Shabbat, modesty, kosher food, the laws of blessings, if they married, so mikveh, the wife, the general rules, but there's so much more to learn. And the best way to learn is to be attached to people in the environment where you live because there's nothing that affects a person more than the environment he lives in. You should know that. That's why there is an expression in Judaism that it's called Bnei Torah. What does it mean, Ben Torah? There's a difference between regular religious people and Bnei Torah. Bnei Torah, the Gemara used a different language. The Gemara say Bnei Aliyah, people that are constantly on their eyes, that they never step, step back. They're always on their eyes. 
regular religious people, 50 years can stay in the same level, or go down, or go a little bit up, or go a little bit down, but after 50 years, there's really no difference. Still with the jeans, still with the blorit and the gel in the hair, still with the same style that he was 50 years ago. Nothing has changed. On the other hand, if you meet a guy 20 years old and he's in a serious yeshiva, and you come 40 years later when he's 60, he's already one of the most important people in the world. Because he's constantly on their eyes. The way the world of yeshivot was designed was very protective. Meaning, everyone that is now one of us is secondary. I know it doesn't sound so great. I know a lot of religious people, which are, happen to be some of them very good people, they don't like it. So if they go on a date, we know they go on a date. So, you know, like if a, if a man goes on a date with a girl that she's looking for Ben Torah, she's not going to want him because he's too modern. Why? But I'm, re, I'm religious. I, I, I learn every morning. I come to shul three times a day. Why, she, why wouldn't she want me? Because she was raised in such a way that her, her goal is to get a Ben Torah. Or the other way around. If you have Ben Torah, it's not going to take just every religious girl. You need a right girl that will be able to live with a Ben Torah because there's a lot of sacrifice here. But everyone agrees there's a huge difference in a spiritual level of someone that learns Torah every day from morning to night than someone who works in 47th Street. You have to be blind not to see it. If you do your own research statistically, how many husbands beat their wife up? How many of them are Bnei Torah and how many of them are business people? You're going to see a big difference. How many husbands learn with their children Torah and give their life for them as opposed to business people? You're going to see a big difference. How people pray, people that are Bnei Torah, how they dress, how they pray, how they behave in the middle of davening, how they not talk in the middle of davening, how they serious, everything by them is with lots of devotion. And the business people, what, they, what we call Ami Aratzot, the, you know, the Balebatim, a whole different approach. It doesn't make them bad people. To begin with, they never had a chance to be even half of the Bnei Torah, to begin with. Because the Torah told us, where you live, that's where you're going to be. That's what you're going to be. You walk all day with Goim, that's what you're going to be. Yes, you're still going to have Yamaka and Tzitzit. Come on, I'm not going to go off the derech. I won't be Mechalel Shabbat. But you begin to talk like them, and the next thing you dress like them, and the next thing the parties that you do is imitation of their parties. And then it's just affecting you. There's not, nothing you can do about it. And uh, this parasha, by the way, is the best example that what I say is correct. We have Lot. Lot is like a son of Abraham Avinu. He grew up in his house. Your father is the most righteous person in the world. Your father is a person, it's your uncle, but it's like a stepfather. You're the one who raised you in his house, besides the fact that he's very wealthy and is a very holy person and his wife is a prophet, besides all that, and besides the hospitality and the, and, and the devotion and all of that, besides all of that, is Abraham Avinu is a person that Hashem does not want to do something in the world before he consults with him. This is how important this tzaddik is. Not just another tzaddik. Hashem doesn't consult with me before he decides to do something in the world, right? You know why? Because I'm not Abraham Avinu and anybody else. 
he does what he has to do. Ah, I doubt that if there's anyone in the world today that Hashem consider him in a level that it's worth telling him what I'm about, what I'm about to do in the world. Maybe they are, I don't know, maybe people have Ruach HaKodesh and Hashem comes to them in a dream and tells them what's going to happen, I don't know. But in general, in reality, we understand that we're not Avraham Avinu, right? Remember, to be righteous when you grow up in a house of a man that is a master of idol worshipping, selling idols to the whole world, and everyone around you is wicked. Everyone around you is an infidel. And to grow up as a child from age three and become righteous and find Hashem and pass ten unbelievable tests and willing to sacrifice the most important thing in your life for Hashem and to be the master of Kiruv. The first person that did Kiruv in the world was Abraham Avinu, bringing people to Hashem. There's no such concept until him. Abraham Avinu he was in the year 1948. That's when he was born to the creation of the world. 1948, that means almost 2,000 years no one in the world did Kiruv. No one went to the wicked people and said, excuse me, why are you like this? I explained yesterday in my lecture that the Holy Zohar, the Kabbalah, the Zohar said that Abraham Avinu had, a, had his, his style of Kiruv was, guess how? What do you think? Abraham Avinu, the man of kindness, Isha Chesed. He's the symbol of hospitality, kindness, uh, willing to risk his life to save his nephew, you know, paying for people, bringing them into his hotel to sleep and to eat for free, merciful, such a great person, right? How do you think Avraham made people Baalei Tshuva? What do you think? He took them to Kumzitz in Tel Aviv, boys and girls to play guitar, American style. He told them, oh, Hashem loves you, you're all tzaddikim, you have nothing to worry about. What do you think? What was his style? Avraham Avinu is the first one, we all follow his ways. Maaseh Avot Siman Lebanim. How did Avraham Avinu make Baalei Tshuva? You don't have to believe me. Open the Holy Zohar, the Kabbalah, in Parashat Lech Lecha, previous parasha, and read how Avraham Avinu made the Baalei Tshuva only with fear. He told them, you all going to be burned in hell and started to teach them what's going to happen to them in hell. That's it. The Zohar said clearly. Not me. People in England already are fuming. They watched the last night lecture uh, live, so I already got some complaints. How does he dare to say such thing? You know, the liberals. So I send the source. Do you think that these wicked people, this apicorsim, they even ever change their mind, even if you show them the source in the Torah? <laughs> what do they care about the source? What do they care about Hashem Bechlal? They only care about one thing. You know what it is? One thing, who knows what they care about? Their convenience. Nothing else. That's why even if you bring them a letter from the President of the United States with his stamp and a video that he actually wrote that letter and it's inconvenient for them, they'll make you the bad guy. It's all your fault, is the, whatever, I'm only a delivery guy. I'm the FedEx guy. Excuse me, sir, you're home, here is a letter. Oh, no, I'll kill you, you the, the wars, you... 
The war said, a mailman, look at you, what you're bringing me. What, is, what do I have to do? I'm only delivering from, <laughs> from here to here. Reading to you what an ignorant person like you should have known. This is a ABC of Judaism. It's not like I'm coming to teach you about uh, big secrets here. Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet, Avraham Avinu. It's a well-known thing. You never went to yeshiva. That's why you think you know everything. So Avraham Avinu started to get this goyim scared. You worshiping idols? Remember, there were already six laws to Adam Arishon. Adam got six laws from Hashem. And then after the flood, Hashem added one more law to Noah, which is Ever Minachai. So there, were, there was already a constitution in the world. They go in, no, you're not allowed to be an idol worshiper. It went from father to son. What? From Adam all the way. Everyone knew we have seven laws to keep. Did they care? No, they still murder. They still ate animals that are not dead. They're still doing it today. Nothing has changed. But they can't come and say we never knew. Or we never heard of it. This was the constitution of the world. You cannot hide such thing. Same way you cannot hide Mount Sinai from the world. It's a big event. Same, you cannot hide Hashem giving Adam the constitution to mankind. So the Goim knew in Allah to worship an idol. But they still did it anyway. So Avraham Avinu came to them and said, Do you know what's the penalty for worshiping idols? It's the worst punishment in hell. He never told them Hashem loves you, Hashem, you know, you're all great. No, no, that's not the style, no. That's all baloney, it's all a lie. He told them exactly what's going to be your end. And that's why they changed. That's why he was so successful. Why people understand only the whip. That's why in Singapore, you will not find one gum on the floor in a whole country. You will not find one thief. You will not find one person who bounces a check. You will never find a boy and a girl having intimacy on the street or in some places. You will never find a person who draws gra gra graffiti on the walls. And you will not find one drug dealer or a person that will dare to stand on the street and smoke drugs. It's that penalty. They're going to put you in front of the whole thing with a whip and give you who knows how many times. For, for putting some graffiti on a wall, besides cleaning it and all that, the whole country will know what you got. That's why there's no crime there. Go check the crime record. And here, liberal place, every half a second, there is a severe crime in this country. Not every second, every half a second. Before you finish a breath, already 10 people got killed or mugged or raped or who knows what. In Israel, it's any better? Not at all. Europe, not at all. Every liberal country, live and let live, freedom, human rights, all massive criminals. In Saudi Arabia, people think a million times before they steal. Because even when you steal a bread, they'll cut your head off, your hand off. Even if you're a child. Also stupid. A child, you have to have more tolerance to a child. How do we know? We learn it from this parasha. Ishmael. Sarah already told Abraham, kick this wild beast from here. The Gemara says he was already, Rashi writes, Metzachek. What is Metzachek? Three things. Giluy Arayot, Shfichut Damim, and Avodah Zarah. 
is either a murderer or making intimacy crimes or an idol worshiper or all three together one way or the other it's a death penalty you have to die and not to agree to do such thing Shabbat you're allowed to break if your life is in a risk to be an idol worshiper you're not allowed you die or to go with a married woman you have to die you can't do it or to kill someone else you can't do it you have to die so Ishmael is already a big rasha as it is as a teenager he just had his Brit Milah when he was 13 and he shoots arrows to scare the Yitzchak. Yitzchak is a little kid. And what happened? Sarah said to Avraham, kick, kick Ishmael from the house, and he refused. It felt very bad. How did she dare to tell me to throw my son away just because it's not her son? That's when Hashem come to Avraham and say everything Sarah tells you about this matter, listen to her. She speaks from a prophecy. So the question is, that Hashem say, why Hashem, the Gemara said that the angel said to Hashem, how do you let this wild beast live? He is going to torture, he is going to torture your children from now until the end of days. How many Jews will suffer from those Arabs? As we can see every hour here, everywhere in the world. So the angel said to Hashem, why would you just not kill him now and get rid of this problem? What did Hashem say? Right now is not guilty to be, to be put to death. There's no execution punishment right now to give him. I don't punish people based on a sin they're going to commit later on in their life. Even though I see all the future and everything, people still choose what to do. So I don't understand. What do you mean he's not guilty? <coughs> it's already written that he was either a murderer, very guilty, or an idol worshiper, very guilty, or Gilui Arayot, very guilty. Either one of them is a death penalty. But we see what the Gemara say. Even though you're already guilty from Bar Mitzvah, which is age 13, it's not the same guilt until you're 20. Once you're 20, then it becomes massive punishment. So now let's think. If today it applies, that until 20, you're not getting the full severe punishment. Back in time, Ishmael, you see that Hashem, based on what he did, it's already death penalty. Hashem did not hold that he deserved to die. Because Hashem say, Ba'asher Usham, and right now he's not, still not in a level that deserved to die. He still needs to get a chance why? Because he was uh, still, yeah, still young. He wasn't a very old man that has life experience and still commit the same, the same crimes. So we see here. So let's go back to Lot. So Lot grew up in the house of the most righteous person. He has his natural traits, which is greed. person is greedy. Greed makes people do things against their religion. We all know it. Like they say, religious, religious, until it comes to the money. That's when you really see who religious and who's not. When it comes to the money, when you don't have right now to pay the rent, and you call your landlord to apologize, I know I have to pay you maximum by the 10th, 
but this month it will be until the 15 and my boss is not giving me the check yet, he's away, whatever. Oh, he's going crazy. You're a rabbi, what is this? Can't wait for $1,000 another five, six days. Why? No emuna. When people have no emuna, right, the way you see how it comes out when it comes to money. Like I said, Adam nimdat bekiso, koso and kaso. It all relates to fate. If you have fate, you're generous. If you have fate, you don't steal. If you have fate, you have patience. If you have fate, you don't go to kill people just because they didn't pay you on time. You understand? If you have fate, you don't go and hire a mafia guy to go and collect for you. All these things that people do, with the yamaka, without the yamaka, shows that they have no faith, no emuna. That's why you need to cheat in a business, and that's why you're stingy, and that's why you don't want to give your wife anything, and that's why you... All these things comes down to the same root of the problem. What is it? Lack of faith. Life with no faith is the most horrible life you can imagine. Life with lots of faith is heaven on earth. No fear, no stress, no panic attack. No anxiety attack. No, 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 no. All the list of problems, check. No, 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 no. No fate, everything, yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. One thing, that's very difficult. One thing you change, everything falls with it. You don't change it, you don't save it, everything stays forever and only get worse. I'll give you an example. Today, Every person that comes to speak to me, almost everyone suffers from a mental disease. Mental disease doesn't mean when you talk to yourself and you make faces on the street. That's a severe mental illness. Mental disease means panic attacks, short of breath, nightmares. What do you mean? I don't control my dreams. Obviously, it comes from your subconscious things that happen to you and the stress that you have because you have no emuna and because you speak Lashonara non-stop you're damaging the nefesh nefesh if the nefesh is damaged then all these sicknesses come to the nefesh your nefesh is, is suffering why it's suffering? because you actually damaging your nefesh. There's a pasuk, nafshi yatsa bedabro. My nefesh came out bedabro, bedibur. The power of speech, what you hear and what you speak, decides if you're gonna be mentally sick or not. If you hear curses, or you say curses, nibulpe, you become mentally sick. If you speak Lashonara or hear Lashonara, you become mentally sick. If you hear heresy or speak heresy, you become mentally sick. That's why almost every person today, I'm talking religious people, non-religious people, what's the point of even opening it up? Leave it alone. I'm talking religious people from, from birth or Baalei Tshuva. Non-stop mental disorders, non-stop. Almost every other person take pill, pill for this, pill for that, blood pressure, this, that. Everything in the end is one thing. If you have a muna, you never speak Lashonara about anyone. This guy stole from you, Hashem runs the world. If I deserve the money, he's obligated to give it to me. 
It was decided on Rosh Hashanah. So what's the, what's the stress? If I don't deserve it, without this miserable thief, I would lose it in a different place. <laughs> get, a, get a letter from the government, you owe us such and such. He stole from you. The government didn't realize that you owe them more money. You made an innocent mistake. The government, the, the persons that check your tax return did not see it. What he stole from you, you got it over here. Hashem balanced everything. Your engine was about to go, and you have no warranty on a car. It was $7,000 damage. But two or three people stole from you in the last few months. Around $7,000, Hashem makes the engine works another five years. What's the problem? You move it here, move it there, nobody even knows. You get it, he reimburses you in a different way. So, what's going on over here? The answer, always the same thing, fate. You have fate, you never wish anyone bad. You have fate, you never cheat in a business. You have fate, you never fight with people about anything. There's not one reason to fight. Why? I have a father. He's the boss of the world. In one second, he can fix the whole problem. He doesn't want to fix it. What, what is my obligation? I pray. I cry to him. Maybe my sin caused it. So how do I fix my sins? I do tshuva. I don't go and kill the guy. I don't go and stand in a secular core for four years and make myself look like a fool, Chilul Hashem, with my yamaka fighting for someone about $5,000. I cry to him, you know what happened, I lost this money. Please, if I deserve it, give it back, that's it. If not, thank you very much for taking it. You don't care anymore about people. You care about my relationship with Hashem. This guy is a messenger. That guy is a messenger. This woman is a messenger. The clerk is a messenger. The driver is a messenger. The pilot is a messenger. Everyone is messengers. Messengers of the Satan, messengers of Hashem. What difference does it make? Those are only messengers. They are not a factor here. They are only delivery guys. The guy that brings you the pizza is not the one who made it. You cannot scream at the, at the delivery guy why the pizza doesn't have enough cheese. If you do it, that shows you stupid. What do you want from me? I work for $10 an hour in tips. <laughs> what do I have to do with your pizza? I take my bicycle and I go from here to here. What do, you, what do I care about this? And that's what life is all about. Everyone around you is a delivery guy. To deliver good, or to deliver bad. Now, the delivery guys are chosen based on who they are. If they are righteous, Hashem will use them to do good things. Go help this guy. Go give tzedakah to this yeshiva. Go donate to Kiruv. Go sponsor CD. Go give out CDs. Do good things in the world. I want you to earn profit. So I'm activating you. Ratzah Shem wanted to merit the Jewish nation. That's why he gave them lots of mitzvot and good deeds to do. That's a gift, not a punishment. It's not a torture. That's a privilege. Come work a lot. The more deals you're going to work on, the more money you make. Your boss loves you or he hates you if he gives you a lot of leads. Why are you giving me so many leads? I want you to make a lot of money, you young guy. I want you to build yourself up. Too much work. You hate me. You're torturing me. What are you, fool? 
I give you the best leads. I want you to work from morning to night. But I want you to earn. That's because I love you. Those I don't love, I give them nothing to do. But we are foolish. We look at it the other way around. Oof, again this. Oof, again that. Oof. It's much the opposite. And if you're a bad person, Hashem transfer you from his department to the Satan. Now the Satan activate you. And we're going to see that as well. So now, Abraham Avinu has a conversation with Hashem. Hashem told him, I want you to know that I'm about to, I'm about to kill millions of people. There are five bad cities, similar to New York City, five boroughs. I'm about to wipe them all out. Since I swore that I'm not going to drown the world in a flood, I want you to know that this time it will be a flood of fire, not water. I'm going to burn them all. All the gays, all the murderers, all the idol worshippers, and all the thieves. Main thing, they were all stealing. So those are the people that are about to be wiped out. Now Abraham became a lawyer. He did not go to Harvard Medical School, Baruch Hashem. He left his seat to Hussein Obama. He took the place over there. But Abraham became the lawyer. A lawyer of who? Who Abraham was trying to save? Only the righteous people. Don't let any liberal fool you. You have to be careful who you listen to. Many people twist the truth of the Torah for their own agenda. Abraham never ever tried to defend the wicked people. He threw his own son out of the house when he found out he's wicked. If he threw his own son to die with a piece of bread and water to the desert once he found out he's an idol worshiper and a murderer and, a, and who knows what. He cares about the people of San Francisco? Of course not. They deserve to get it. The only ones Hashem, Abraham cared about were the people that are righteous. Ulai yesh chamishim tzadikim betoch ha'ir. 50 righteous, or 40, or 30. You want to kill the righteous with the wicked? Read. Don't have to believe me. Simple Hebrew, simple English, simple Russian. Read. Maybe there are righteous people. Halila lecha. God forbid that you're going to kill the righteous with the wicked. Save the righteous and do whatever you want to the wicked. You understand? And Hashem told him, no, there is no, there's no 50. Then he said, maybe there's four. No 40. I don't understand why Hashem didn't tell him, save it. There's not even one. Why Hashem went through the conversation? Cut it short. Avram, you trust me, there's not even one tzaddik. In all five cities, it will be the end of it. Why I had to go? No, there's no 50. Okay, maybe there's 45. No, maybe there's 40. No, maybe there's 30. No. What's this whole thing? Cut it short. One of the rules in the Torah, the less you talk, the better it is. Get it, do it short and to the point. So Hashem should have said to him, save it. There's not even one person deserve to live here. That will be the end of it. The answer is, why is it? Who knows? Huh? No, the answer is, the answer is, Hashem said to him, if I will find, if I will find 50 tzaddikim, 
I will leave the entire place unarmed. If I will find 40, I would leave the entire place. I Meaning I will write, for now I'll cancel the whole tragedy. What does it mean if I will find? You already know if there are or not. The answer is because until the decree begins, they can still do tshuva. That's why I cannot commit to you right now. That's why Hashem speaks in a future language. If I will find when the moment comes that the fire is supposed to fall on them, even a minute before, the fire is ready. I just have to click the trigger and that's it. And all of a sudden, one of them screams, Chatanu Hashem! Hashem wa Elohim! Enough with this nonsense! And everyone started to scream, you right! And they burned their idols. Oh! Wait a minute. Hold. Everything puts on hold. No fire, no nothing. Same thing applied to us, what do you think? Rockets, these, wars. Few people would scream, Ana, Hashem, Oshiana, Chatanu, Avinu, we forgive us, we're sorry. Everything can turn around in minutes. No emunah, of course. No emunah, people continue to rebel. A coincidence, random. Thousands of rockets. Nobody got hurt. The Arabs don't know how to shoot. <laughs> Do you know how many times the rocket fell half a second, either early or late? Ramash, the car passed. You see in the video. <laughs> Come on, how, how many coincidence things you can have in one day? Come on. One rocket, Saddam Hussein shot in Saudi Arabia, 127 Americans died. In the middle of nowhere. A camp in a desert. Scud missile. Pfft, all the Americans died. 39 huge Scud missiles fell in crowded Israel. Crowded Tel Aviv, Ramat Gan. Each missile size of this shul. Cannot put it on a semi-trailer. Full of explosive. Each missile should have been 5,000-10,000 dead. Each one. 39 fell and exploded. And another 21 fell in the ocean. It was 60 altogether. 60 missiles. 39 hit the ground. And now one person died. 50,000 apartments got damaged. One building collapsed. Whole building, four floors. Now one person died from a SCAD missile. Anybody got the point? Of course not. Nobody gets the point. People continue with their nonsense. A minute or two later, they move on. And Baal Nes Mekir Beniso. One of the problems that we have, which is very strange, that a person that just had a huge miracle does not recognize his miracle. Five minutes later, he's already convinced it was good luck. Great timing. It's because of that or because of that, thanks to this guy, thanks to that one, thanks to the machine, thanks to the anti-break, thanks to... He will find who to give the credit to. Just not to Hashem. So Hashem said to him, listen, if I will find, meaning between now until the decree will begin, maybe they'll do tshuva. Then I will let you know, meaning a second before I shoot, I will tell you there is no 10. That's why they all died. That means 10 Tzadikim will save millions of people. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
then Avram he speaks to Hashem in a very humble way, Anochi Afar Vaefer. What does it mean, Afar Vaefer? Meaning sand on the ground. It's Afar. Efer means ashes. All right, we got the point. You want to say that you are nothing. What do you need to give two example? Afar Vaefer. The Gemara explained, the Chachami explained. Afar, Afar has a future. Ashes has a past. Do you understand? I'll tell you. If you have a beautiful building, or well, $50 million, you burn it, what it becomes? Ashes. The ashes can say, wow, what a glorious past history I had. I used to be a fancy building in Manhattan with art and all kinds of architecture. My old days used to be glorious. But what am I now? Nothing. Ashes. Dust in the wind. The sand said, now I'm nothing. But from me, you can build the Empire State Building. You can build who knows what. Everything you send. You can make glasses. You can make expensive things. I have a future. Meaning, Avraham said to Hashem, I'm a zero that have no past. In the past, I was a zero. And in the future, I still, no matter what's going to happen, I'm still always going to be zero. That's the concept here. So I continue. And as we move on, now comes the story that I would like to highlight today. Lot was raised in good environment, righteous uncle, raised him as a son, all the hospitality, modesty, Sarah, that raised him, the most modest woman, Emuna, Avraham Avinu is Baal Emuna, generosity, chesed, doing kiruv, making seminars, what better childhood you can expect? Now he comes to Lot. He comes to Sdom. This is what it says. Velot Yoshev Beshar Sdom. We have a rule. The Torah say, when you build a new city, you have to make few things. Mikveh, Shiva, hospital, and a bedin. A religious court. Where do you build the court? Where? They go and build it whenever they want. Here, Queens Boulevard, Manhattan, uptown, downtown. They don't care. You have to build it in the gate of the town. People came from a far walk in the desert with a camel or the donkey. The first thing they have to see, bedding. Over here, there is a constitution and a law and a jail and a punishment and execution. That's why you have to see. That's why when you land in Singapore, immediately they say welcome to Singapore and they stick it to your face. Over here, if you traffic drugs, it's death penalty. Don't mess with us. This is not Manhattan that the policeman will ask you, you have something for me, buddy? <laughs> or Israel. I asked yesterday someone that told me that more than 80% of the Israelis now are officially drug addicts. More than 80%. So I asked there, well, what do you mean? Everyone smoke on the open? So yes, it's like cigarettes, on the open. Everywhere you go, smell, in a restaurant, outside the restaurant, in a bathroom, in a garage, in a parking lot. I said, what happens if the police comes and they see? No problem. Sometimes he will ask you if you have a little bit for him. So I said, I don't understand. The drugs became legal in Israel? Officially, no. 
bullets, nobody care. Smoking, nobody care. Other drugs may be a little bit here and there, but no problem. That's the way of life now. And he only opened with no shame. Kids and their parents together. It's like regular cigarettes. Everyone is in a, you know, in a different world. How they function. This girl, she's Baruch Hashem, became Baalat Shuvash. She told me, you don't understand, when I came to work here on a register, do you know how difficult it was for me to focus on the numbers? Sometimes few people come in a restaurant. You have to divide the bill to four people. You have to, to know how to separate it. If you're not focused, you can make critical mistakes. It took me days of days of trying to, trying to, to work it out. It wasn't easy. Why? The head is all messed up. That's the future of our country. Everyone is a drug addict almost. They're going to be the pilots and the, and the warriors and the judges and the lawyers and the doctors. Huh? They can't live two hours without smoking drugs. That's the situation right now. So Lord became a judge. He's an important person. He came from a royal family. He came with lots of wealth. Rich people are respected everywhere in the world. You don't find one country that rich people do not get a special treatment. Even in this country, when you come, when you move to America, you can get a green card in one day. The poor people will take them 10, 20 years, and some of them will never get it. You come with $5 million, you tell the, uh, the immigration, I want to open a business and give work for 100 Americans. Here is $5 million, I wire it to, and I open up an account. I want to, I'm going to pay you taxes. One, two, three. Three months later, you already have everything ready. Why? You're good for them. They respect money. They love money. So, Lot is sitting in the gate of storm, meaning he's a judge there. That's the day, how do you call it? Inauguration? They made him the official judge. Now, Lot, was he a better judge than them? Or the worst one? What do you think? Huh? What do you think with Lot was? Was a good judge or a bad one? The Gemara say there were five judges over there. Five judges. And he was the worst out of all of them. Not right away. It took him time. Why? Very simple. In United States, if you're going to have a Jewish candidate to become the president of United States, it happened a few times. Baruch Hashem, none of them got elected. But what happened if you have a nice Jew, charismatic, smart, even though some of them don't like Jews, but they came to the conclusion this Jew can save the country. And I want to vote for him. Is this a good thing to the Jewish people or a horrible thing? What do you think? Terrible thing. Why? It will be always busy proving to the Goyim that he's loyal to them and how he's going to do it by being very cruel to the Jews. No matter what he could do, like Bernie Sanders, the Jew hater, all he does is to abuse Israel and all kinds of Jewish values. Why is it subconsciously he is trying to prove to them I have nothing to do with them I'm an American 
That's why I don't care about Israel. That's why if it would be up to me, I would cut the help to Israel. That's why I'm pro-Gaza and I don't care about Israel. Every one of his speeches, you can see. He will do everything he can to prove to them, I am more anti-Semite than all of you. Like this, he thinks he's going to gain popularity. This is what's happening throughout history. And in the Holocaust, we got the best examples. Ask any Holocaust survivors that you know or met in your life. Ask him, who tortured you more, the Nazis or the Jewish couples? Many of them will tell you, we were afraid more than the Jewish couples than the actual Nazis. They used to get us into trouble to save their own skin. That's, by the way, answering the question that everybody asks. We know that 80% of the Jewish people died in the exodus of Egypt because they did not, did not have faith. That's it. They did not have faith to follow Hashem into the desert. So if 80% died, how did Datan and Aviram came out? They were Bernie Sanders and Hussein Obama combined. So how did they come out? They had faith. They were righteous. They were the worst. Everything Moshe did, they opposed him. They created confusion and lack of, of emuna, And they, they challenged the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu. And they put man on Shabbat for people to see. See? Man is falling as usual. You should open your business on Shabbat. There were... Lieberman and Lapid together. Dantan and Avira. So I don't understand how they came out of Egypt. The answer is, they were couples. The Egyptian Paro said to the Jews, I'm putting someone in charge, you have to get me this amount of bricks and the straw and whatever you make per day. If you get it, I'll let it go. If not, you pay the price. So to save the skins, the couples used to beat them up like crazy. But Datan and Aviram, no matter how bad they were, they were totally apicosim, not religious. But one cool thing that was about them, they took the beating every day and they did not snitch on the, on the other Jews. You have sometimes people like this. You have a secular guy. The police pulled him over, arrested him, and he knows a lot, of, you know, and other Jews were also involved. He's never going to turn them in. Who were with you? I don't know. I, I, I didn't see. I don't know who the guy is. Describe him. He was this and this and that. Something that I'll never find him. Why? I'm not turning my brother to your hand. Even though they promised them benefits. Give us the other people, we'll let you go. They don't do it. By the way, there was one person that's probably the most hated Jew in New York or in America. Who is he? Bernie Madoff. I want to ask you a question. Bernie Madoff, according to reports, stole many billions of dollars. We don't know, 50, 40, you know, sometimes the people exaggerate. But we know that it was the biggest scam in the history of this country. There's no question about that. Thousands of thousands of people lost so many millions of dollars over there. Pension plans, schools, Yeshiva University lost $105 million. That's what they, the report, I saw once the report. $105 million they invested by him. 
many other institutions lost a lot of money. So I want to ask you a question. What can you learn from a person like this? Michalel Shabbat, scammer, thief, whatever, probably wasn't eating kosher. What's to learn from him? Can you, one find, can you find one positive thing about this person that he can learn something from him? I'll tell you what. When he went to jail, 70 years old. It's not young, but it's not so old. He could live another 20 years, no? He's in jail for life. Everybody understands, he'll never come out of jail. And he understands that, he's not a fool. They gave him two options. Remember, he lived in six, seven, eight different mansions, servants, Rolls Royce, limo, driver, private jet, whatever you can imagine, live better than a king. To move from that kind of lifestyle, 50 years you're like the king, to into a lousy cell that you have to split a bathroom, share a bathroom with few other inmates, just this alone, it's a death penalty. So they offered him a suite. Believe it or not, they have suites in a jail for rats, for snitch. They told him, give us the list of all the people that invested money by you. And we're willing to sign a deal with you that you live in great condition. TV, good food, don't have to do anything, no cleaning, no nothing. Meaning, you still be in jail, but your life's going to be paradise compared to the other option. And the answer to them, I heard so many people already. Now, after what I've done, you expect me now to turn them into your hand that you go and destroy what's left with them? I will suffer for the rest of my life and will not give you one name. Now, between me and you, how many people would pass such a test? Many people would already say, listen, I'm a lost case as it is. Probably when I go in front of Hashem, it's going to cut me to a million pieces. Who knows how many thousands of years in Gehenom I'm going to have. Echo Mriv, Kasher, Avadnu, Avadnu. Since I'm anyway lost, yalla, let me at least enjoy this world, no? But he didn't, he did not sell them out. Now imagine what would happen if we would give them a list of hundreds of hundreds of people that already lost some of them everything they saved, and some of them a big portion of their saving, and they are already heartbroken. And imagine now to start an IRS investigation that I need to hire a lawyer and pay thousands of dollars an hour and, and they freeze the little bit that left by them. Like, like it says, Aratzachta vegam Yarashta? Not only you murder me, now you come after my money? That's the expression. Imagine this. So believe it or not, I'm sure there are many people that he took away their money that had a huge gratitude to him, that he did not turn them in. Because believe me, losing a million dollars is one thing. Losing your life or going to jail or who knows, they come and ask you, oh, you had cash money? Where did you get this money to invest by him? All in cash? You never reported the 12% you made? They could have got a lot of people to lose everything they have left. I'm sure... For sure he's going to get his punishment. There's no question about it. No one gets away with his punishment. And it doesn't matter, even if he's going to do real tshuva in jail, 
and become a big tzaddik, meaning keeping mitzvot, Torah, everything. It's still not going to help him about the crime he committed because you must return every dollar you stole from every person. It doesn't help that you became Shomer Shabbat. It will help you about the Shabbat that you didn't keep. Yes, that will save you from being Mechalel Shabbat. It will save you from not eating kosher. It will save you from many other things. But between what you owe to people, you can never repent unless you return the money back to the people or you got a forgiveness from them, one way or the other. Either that the person that you owe him money, you begged him, I'm, I'm begging you, forgive me, forgive me about the loan, forgive me about what I stole, I don't have, I'm about to die, have mercy on me, whatever you did. And in the end, he said, okay, Machul, I forgive you about the money, you don't have to return it. It's, it's going to save you. Because even if you didn't pay back, this person, the fact that he said, okay, I forgive you, this comes out of your file. It's very interesting, you know, the, the Torah says, people borrow and they don't pay back. And they don't care to borrow and take a risk with someone else's money. That makes them wicked in the moment of the loan. Not when they don't pay a year later. Just the minute you took money and you don't have securities, how to pay it back, that already makes you wicked. And when the time comes and you don't pay back, then obviously you become a much bigger rasha, much more wicked. But it's very interesting because you're going to find it fascinating. When you owe money to people, if you're naturally not an honest person, some people are very straight. Even going, can't steal. Tell them, here, there's a way to get away. Oh, no, no, I don't want to hear about this. Some Jews are also very honest. Most of the people in the world are not honest. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they don't pay back, whatever. Unfortunately, that's the situation today. So the question is like this. When a person owes money, he has big resistance to pay it back. He has the money in his bank account. But the Satan keeps telling him, what's the rush? The person calls him, do you have the money for me? No, not yet, buddy. Call me next month. And another man, and another man. He takes his heart out. Doesn't pay back. He comes to the store. I need the money. I really need Okay, come, let me give you. I have a hundred bucks for you. Just to push it away as long as possible. But you'll be surprised. Sometimes when a person say, you know what? You don't want to pay me? Don't pay me. It's okay. I'm not going to come again. Don't pay. Goodbye. That's when they all of a sudden, the next day, hey, hey, by the way, I got the money for you. Why? I already told you you don't have to pay. Why are you now all of a sudden after me? Because the Yetzirah went away. Once the person, I can tell you, it happens to me many times. What does it mean? Sometimes people order tefillin for me. I get very high-level tefillin from Jerusalem for half a price of the stores. Exactly half a price. Save them about seven, eight hundred dollars on the price. Plus, they get something really in a high value. Same thing, mezuzot. Sometimes people are poor. They need right now tefillin. They found that tefillin is not kosher, or they just became balei tshuva. They don't even have tefillin, or they found the mezuzot are not kosher, or they're moving into an apartment. You don't always plan when you're gonna need tefillin and mezuzot. Sometimes they need to buy, I don't know, 15, 20 mezuzot. They need hundreds of dollars. They don't have it. So they ask if they can pay some now and some later. I try to help them out. 
So one guy, I give you an example that happened recent. There was one guy, good guy, apparently very poor. He took the tefillin, he paid a hundred dollars, then another fifty, then another month, another... F- you can see that he struggled to pay for the tefillin. So after a few payments, and I saw it take longer and longer between one payment to another. Like three months, he pays fifty dollars. Three more months, it's already over a year, like a year and a half maybe. I felt bad for the guy. I said, it's okay, you don't have to pay the extra four hundred that you owe. I sent him an email, Machul, I forgive you, you don't have to pay, I see that you struggle, I'll help you out, you don't have to pay. What do you think happened? He did not give him a rest. All of a sudden, he started to make payments. Just now, I deposited $100 in my bank account. I told him, I don't understand, I told you I forgive. No, no. <laughs> Once you're dismissed, the Yetzirah leaves you, that's it, it's not a sin anymore. If he wouldn't pay me now, he doesn't not hold responsible because I forgave him. Same thing Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, all day you're hungry, you're dizzy, headache, you're missing the coffee, some people missing the cigarette. Everyone with his desire. As soon as Yom Kippur is over, as soon as Yom Kippur is over, what happened? They stand in the parking lot, chatting, talking. Why you don't run home to eat your shakshuka? <laughs> the answer is, once he became permitted, the Yetzirah left you alone. That's why every time Yom Kippur finished, my youngest son say, if you want, I can fast one more day until tomorrow. Oh, to convince him to fast, wasn't Bar Mitzvah yet, to convince him to fast, say, you, you think you can fast? Yeah, I'm going to try until one o'clock, until midday, if I'll be angry, I'll eat. Try, try, see if you can fast. <laughs> Soon as the fast is over, Baruch Hashem, I fasted the whole fast. I said, no, how is it? I can go one more day even. What he doesn't understand is that the fact that he's not even hungry now and he's not running, or let's run home and eat, because once he became permitted, that's it. There's no more Yetzirah. So the Yetzirah keeps constantly affecting you. Look, he didn't eat. And the body reacts accordingly. All of a sudden, your stomach is grinding and you feel dizzy because it's all about what's going to your brain. And the fact is that people in a war did not eat for three days. Nothing. No drinking, no eating in the Yom Kippur war. They were fighting for our life. You, you read so, stories of soldiers. None of them felt hungry. The Chazonish say, the holy Chazonish, Chazonish say, I do not remember in my entire life being hungry. I wasn't eating sometimes for 10 hours, 15 hours, two days, three days. Crazy. They assigned a person to be in charge of him to make sure he eats, that he won't faint. Why? Because his mind was so deep into the Torah that his body never felt hunger. Because the brain was so busy, non-stop, 20 hours a day, in such deep Torah until he would faint on the bed. The brain never went into worry about not getting food for for 20 hours straight. It's unbelievable. You see, and also in a time of stress, when a person is in a court, they're about to decide if he goes to 20 years in prison or not. Do you know one person that can eat? Three days he cannot eat. Cannot sleep, cannot eat, cannot function. Why? 
the brain is so worried and busy with the problem, he doesn't send any hunger signs. It's very interesting how the brain works. If you have back pain, every day you suffer from your back, come to me, I'll give you a good punch in your face, break something over there, your back pain will go away for at least one day. Why? Because the brain now will be more busy on the urgent problem. Therefore, for one day, you will have a relief in your back. I'm just giving you an example to understand how it works. So if you are training your brain to think about specific things and to be busy with certain things, then a lot of other problems that you have in your life will be gone, like they don't exist. None, mamash. I'll give you one example. If a person is struggling financially, his business went down, people that owe him money don't pay him back, he's bitter, he's upset, he's... What would happen, God forbid, if now the doctor just told him that his son, his young kid, just got cancer, lo aleno. The minute he found out that now he has to go through a six-month fight for the life of his child, does he care about the money and the business and the customers and all the things that he was busy with nonstop for the last three years? Doesn't even care about the business. Doesn't even call to check. Why? He got a, a serious problem right now. One a serious problem now, the other problems he had. Uh, it's a joke. Don't worry about this now. That's what I have in my mind that you're talking to me about the business. If the manager will call him and say, listen, we don't have enough inventory, you have to make an order, ah, leave me alone now, I don't want to hear about this. Do whatever you understand. Before that, every hour he would call the manager. How are we doing? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? That's why I tell people, I comfort them sometimes by telling them a story that I heard earlier. If someone called me to cry about something that it's not so bad, I said to them, feel, feel good, just an hour ago someone told me that that's what happened to him. Oh my God, wow. So you feel lucky, feel lucky that you only have this. And they really go happy. And by the way, I want to ask you a question, why does it comfort us when we find out that other people around us suffer more than us? Isn't it lack of emuna? It's the highest level of lack of emuna. How does it help me that if I'm sick, and uh, five other people around me in a room are also sick that I feel not as bad. Come on, this is my much wickedness. We should be happy that I'm not sick. We learn from the story with Rabbi Akiva that he put his wife in an igloo made from straw. So poor. And she was alone and thinking, I used to be a princess, so rich. And look what happened. Hashem sent Eliyahu Anavi to ask her if, she can, if he can borrow some straw, look like a poor person. Can you lend me some straw? I'm so poor, I don't, you have so much straw. Why did Hashem do that? To make her feel good. Meaning, you see, that when you find out that you are not the most miserable in the area, that's already half of the cure for your problem. So you actually understand, if you're clever, that the problems that we have are not physical problems. It's not real problem. It's all in the head. So meaning, even though I'm still sick, even though I'm still poor, the fact that some information went into my head solve all my issues. Right away. Think about it. One piece of information went into, I'll give you an example. There's one Arab person that owns a garage here in Brooklyn. Muslim. 
few years ago, I don't know if you remember that, we spoke about it five years ago, four years ago. Few years ago, his son, 25 years old, died in a car accident. Eat something with a car, died. That was, I think, his only son. This Arab, it crushed him completely. He couldn't function, nothing. He went to one of the businesses over here and he saw my CD, Life After Death, on the counter. Someone who just lost his son, Jew, non-Jew, what difference does it make? <laughs> He's getting very curious. What is this, Life After Death, a rabbi? Let's see what these Jews have to talk about this. He put it in his computer and he watched the two hours film, Life After Death. Guess what? After that, he sent me such an email, you saved my life, you, I, I was able to get out of my bed, to go back to work. I, I now look at this tragedy completely different than before. One piece of information, or five or six of them, that went into his head, understanding what does it mean life and death, what does it mean a soul, what does it mean afterlife, what does it mean to die. He didn't know any of, the, any of that. That changed his entire approach about this, the problem. Now he can function, now he can smile again. It's very interesting. Same thing, forgetfulness. Person that had a tragedy is devastated, he's crushed, he's, he's on the floor, he's crying for weeks. Two years later, <laughs> nothing happened. What happened? Same problem! You are in the same problem! If you had one child and you lost him, you're still in the same situation. What happened? Time cured it. The situation really never changed. Think about it, what I'm saying here. Forgetfulness does not actually cure the problem. It just pushes it away from your mind. That's all. You're still in the same situation. If you got divorced and you had horrible experience and then you found a great woman and got remarried, okay, now we understand why you forgot your old uh, bad days. Because now you got what you wanted. So you forgot. I lost money and I made money somewhere else. Okay, forget about that money. But when you are still in the same shortage, how all of a sudden you're able to go back to normal? Forgetfulness. Time cures everything. Time cures everything. That's why a lot of people commit suicide for nothing. All you have to do is to suffer two, three months and that's it. Then it was like it never happened after that. You slowly, slowly get out of it. This is the way Hashem made the world. So now, we have a very interesting thing here. Let's, let's read to you what's going on. Two angels going Sdoma in the evening. I have my towel there in the thing. They come to, they arrive to Manhattan or San Francisco, I don't know. They arrive there in the evening. And Lot is sitting in the gate. Lot saw them. He bowed down to them. Hospitality. He's trying to prove, as I told you, as a judge, they nominated him as a judge, that I am with you 100%. But it didn't happen overnight. I'll give you an example. There are few judges in the world, male and female, in Israel, in America. I know some of them personally. Personally. Some I don't know personally, I know them from the news. That our Shomer Shabbat eat kosher, maybe give tzedakah, make brachot when they eat, 
If it's a woman, dress religious and do a lot of good things. And they become a judge in a secular court. The biggest crime in humanity. How can you be a judge in a court that the entire laws over there are against Hashem? Almost everything is against God. Almost everything. You have to approve gay marriage. You have to decide to give pension to the husband and husband. He works for an airline. The other one sued the airline. I deserve to get free tickets. Why? I'm his husband. And you're a Hasidish judge or a religious judge or modern Orthodox judge or whatever the case is. You have to approve it by the laws of New York. Meaning you became Lot. And the sad news is that all the people of the community will admire you. Wow. What an honor. Such a Kiddush Hashem, Rabbi. What's the Kiddush Hashem? That a woman from Bet Yaakov, who was very religious with the right ideology, became Lot in the court of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what's happening. When we lost the truth, we admire the wrong things. They make shows. They make, uh, wow, the whole world should know wow, I'm such a career successful woman. I have a gmach and I do this and I run the shul and I, I donate gowns to all, a lot of beautiful things. Bottom line, if you are a man, you cannot be counted even in a minyan. You're moister. You send innocent people to prison. You destroy families' life. You take money out of people that according to the Torah, they're fully innocent. You release pedophile. You release murderers. You, you release all kinds of other criminals. You convict people based on a testimony of his partners to the murder. <laughs> Forget about Mechalele Shabbat and wicked and liars. A person that went together to rob the bank with him. Who's gonna break first? They ask in two different rooms. You want the deal or your friend's gonna sign the deal? Two murderers, two rapists, two robbers. The one will turn on his friend, will get a get out of jail for free. Based on that, you're gonna put another person in jail. How do you know? Maybe he's the one who pressed the trigger. Maybe he's the actual murderer. You don't have any proof. Based on a, an, a, a partner to the crime, you convict the other one? What are you, normal? What kind of a system is this? And you, a Hasidish judge, has to approve such a deal? And then you think you're righteous? And you think you're going to have Olam Abba in your dream? But the Satan is a genius. What is Satan going to do? that half of the community will come and hug you and tell you you bring so much inspiration. You're so great. We feel so great. Wow, you brought so much honor to the community. That's how the Satan organizes it, that you feel great about your crime. What is he going to do? Make you feel lousy? When a person feels lousy about his crimes, he cannot survive because the conscious kill you from inside. How many people left the great job making tons of money because the conscience constantly killed them? Rabbi, I quit. Why? I just can't do it anymore. I mean, I can't. I heard so many times about Chilul Shabbos. Chilul Shabbos, I, the heck with the money. I don't care. 
happens, why? He killed him. Oh, Rabbi, I left my Goya girlfriend. Why? Because I didn't enjoy the scenes anymore. That's it. Every time I suffer more and more, I felt so guilty. Shem is so good to me and I'm going against him. And many other examples. So how does Satan circumvent the conscious? It has to go around. It has to be a bypass. How does Satan make you not suffer? He makes you be in charge of a gmach. And he makes you do sheva brachot for poor people. And everyone compliments you. Wow, you the, you the, the, the highlight of our community. And he's destroying you for eternity. That's it, Rabotai. The truth hurts. That's why people run away from it. They can't handle it. So, okay, no, Lot is sitting there. Lot was also Baal Chesed. He learned from Avraham Avinu. He was willing to die for strangers. Guests come to his house, take my daughter, take me, kill me, kill my daughter. You cannot be wicked willing to die for strangers, right? Selfish people don't care about anybody, even their own children. Someone told me, my ex-husband does not look at my children. Even if we'll see them on the street, he won't come to talk to them. What did they do to him? Never. They were, when we got divorced, they were little kids. He will see them, he won't even come to talk to him. I said, how can it be? Mental issues, I don't know what. Lord, willing to give his daughter to strangers? The, the, the people of Sodom bang on the door, give us the gas. No, no, take my daughter. What do you mean take your daughter? Take the daughter means they're going to do horrible things to your daughter. It's worse than death penalty. If you come to a normal father and say, what would you prefer? That you're going to die now and we leave your daughter alone? Or we let you live and we take your daughter and Hashem will, will rachem what they're going to do to her. A normal kosher person, what would he say? Kill me and don't touch the daughter. Just do me a favor, don't kill me with torture. Make it quick. Right or wrong? Who could live with the knowledge that he can save his daughter from a horrible pogrom? Right? by giving up his life and he, and he chose to stay alive and he sees his daughter suffer every day in the hand of these wicked people. Who could do such thing? No one. And he was willing, take, for strangers, not to save his life. People just walked in, meaning his level of chesed is better than all of us combined. Hospitality, I'm, I'm going to die for the guests. That's it. This is the, the values that Avraham Avinu gave him. But he went to college. And the college educated him. More heresy and more heresy and more heresy until he became a judge. And once he was in a court, a Jewish person came. Oh, what happened? Muslim guy stopped me in Borough Park, beat me up. I almost died. Okay. It's not a hate crime. I released the Muslim on bail for $15,000. If it's a hate crime, it's life in prison. Hate crime is serious. The laws. Just violence, you have a fight with your friend. You broke his nose. $15,000 bail. The next 24 hours later, you're back in the street until the trial. Hate crime, a million dollar bail. It's a different story. You are Jewish judge. 
You see a Jewish religious man walks in the street in a camera, everybody saw it. I saw it. I would not talk unless I saw it in my own eyes. A car stopped, middle of nowhere, this Muslim thirsty murderer came out, started to beat him up in the middle of the intersection. Beat him up. If people would not pass by another minute, they would be dead. For sure, he had intention to murder him just because he's a Jew. Walked in the street with his tefillin. You see it? You want to prove to the authorities that you're an objective judge. See, even though I'm a religious Jew, and the victim is a religious Jew, and the murderer here is a Muslim. No, I'm liberal. Ahmed, you're free to go. It's not a hate crime. Any other American judge immediately would announce him as a hate crime. Goy, without a doubt. Any Christian, any other, probably even a Muslim one. Who let the murderer walk free? Somebody that became Lot. You understand, Rabotai? This is how it works. That's it. So we move on. So we, are, we know that the environment that you live in affects you whether you like it or not, whether you want it or, or not. It's written in Mishlei, Proverbs 13, Olech el chachamim yechkam. You want to be a wise man or woman, go to where the wise people are. The rabbis, the Talmidei Chachamim, the community has a lot of Bnei Torah, move there. You live in Manhattan, move to Lakewood, move to Monsi, move to places when you know a lot of Torah everywhere. You come to the shul, divrei Torah. You sit in Seudah Shlishit, divrei Torah. You come for Shabbos dinner, divrei Torah, not clowns. Okay. Veroeksilim yaroa. Someone who wants to be among the fools, that's what you're going to be. Also written in Yalkut Shimoni, Olechen Chachamim Yechkam, Mashal. They give a beautiful parable. Someone who walked into perfume store, like we say today, duty free. You go, the next day you smell your suit. Wow, what's going on? Where this perfume came from? All the people spray all over the store. You walk in, it comes to on your clothes. Someone goes to a place of a bursaki, someone that processes leather, bed smell, all kinds of bed smell, all kinds of... What, is, what, what smell he's going to get? The bed smell of the store. Meaning, where you're going to hang out, that's what you're going to get stick to you. You go into the bathroom, what's in the bathroom will stick to you. You understand? You go to a good place, what's over there will stick to you. Talk. It's very interesting because the Rambam writes in chapter 6 in Ilchot Deot, you know, the Rambam in Mishneh Torah, Derech Briyato Shel Adam, the way of the creation of a man is to be, Hashem made a man with the way that נמשך בדעותיו ובמעשיו אחרי רעיו וחבריו. That is influenced constantly with the opinions and the actions of his friends. 
That's why in Israel, when I was in school, my secular teacher said, some things you never forget. Tell me who your friend, and I tell you who you are. Even the secular people sometimes have interesting sentences, like tzochek mishet tzochek acharon. That's very nice. Some of them have wisdom. Tell me who your friend, I'll tell you who you are. I once told it to a teenager drug addict when he was walking around with a gang of drug addicts. So I asked him, why are you always hanging up with this kind of people? Say what? They're not, I don't, I don't care about them. I don't need them. You have all these excuses. So I say to him, as long as your friends are this kind of people, you will never change. You want to start the change in saving your life? First, change your friends. But he cannot connect to Bnei Torah. He wants to connect to these guys. The Yetzirah and Joy. Hang up here, hang up there, go to the bar, go to play pool, go here, go there, go to the beach, go on a trip. What is he going to do with Bnei Torah? He's allergic to Gemara. He's not interested to learn Torah. Force yourself. Force yourself. Can I sit learn with you? Yeah, let's learn half an hour. Then we come 40 minutes, then an hour, then two hours. Force yourself to change your environment. You sit in a car, make the environment in the car lectures. Same thing when you follow specific speakers. Make sure to choose only the ones that shake your heart left and right, up and down, and make you scared every day of your life from being a criminal. Don't go to people who make you comfortably numb. They will destroy you for eternity. And if you want to ask my opinion, the vast majorities of the speakers in this country are a huge, not just a danger, a huge danger to the people's soul. Huge. I have thousands of proofs how people went off the derech by listening to those speakers. I have hundreds of my Baalei Tshuva that became strictly religious and after two or three years when they disappeared, I was hoping that they moved into a higher level, they're learning maybe in yeshivot. It came to my attention that they started to listen to him or to him and to him and they became rotten and modern and rotten ideology and Hashem irachem. And some of them became mamash like goyim. And when you ask them, how did it happen? You were so good. The answer is, there is another way in Judaism. It doesn't have to be a strict way, like I made it up. So no, no. There is only one way. What is it? What's written in the Torah? You already did not want to keep it, so you found someone to comfort you. To tell you you're good, Hashem loves everyone. That's it. That's the truth. And look what happened to you. You have to be very careful with this, Rabotai. This is diversion of the Yetzirah. He will try to send you to people that will make you feel great with your sins. Hashem loves everybody. Wrong. Hashem is merciful. Wrong. Everybody must get punished. There's not no discount to one little sin. The Gemara says, For the chutzpah that you have to think that Hashem will forgive one of your sins, you're going to get an extra punishment. Many of the things they say, ah, there's, no, there's no hell really, sitting with such arrogance. 
Do you really believe this hell? Like a clown. What do you mean you really believe in hell? 3,300 years in every yeshiva in the world, they taught about heaven and hell. Abraham Avinu used hell as a, as a, as a way of making Baalei Tshuva, as the Zohar described. Every Rosh Yeshiva in the world, Sfaradi, Ashkenazi, Hasid, every Yeshiva in the world, the Chafetz Chaim say a hundred years ago to the speakers, your speeches should be about one topic only, heaven and hell, reward and punishment, and nothing else. And those who do not speak about it, the Chafetz Chaim. Not only they do not benefit the souls of the Jews, they damage them tremendously. This is the words of the Chafetz a hundred years ago. Imagine if we live today. Do you know a hundred years ago how strict people were? You go to a serious Ashkenazi yeshiva. You know, it's Israel. Anyone you want. See the Shiurei Musar over there. What do you think they learn about? What do you think the Mashgichim talked about? Every Yirat Shamayim on Elul, the Yomadin, everyone was shaking from the Yomadin. All of a sudden, every college professor, rabbi, became a new god. Modifying the Torah, teaching whatever they, people like to hear. Mamash became business. Like the Kabbalah Center. I'm a Kabbalist. Kabbalist, you married to Goyam Halal Shabbat, crook. What Kabbalist? Kabbalist. He has a string red thing. Ponytail, mustache like this, look more like Richie uh, from the mafia. I'm, I'm wearing white on Yom Kippur. What else do you do? Eat pork a minute later. Kabbalist, Kabbalah Center. This is what the world became. You're laughing, but it, <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive tragedy. So the Rambam said, who are you going to be associated with? That's what you're going to be. Rav Chaim Shmuelevitz, the big mashgiach, had to go to the American consulate in Tel Aviv. 20 or 30 years ago, it wasn't as bad today. It wasn't the capital city of the gays yet. Tel Aviv, 30 years ago, were a little bit better than today. Or maybe a lot better. They made sure they get him a car with curtains on the windows, closed from the back, from the side. He cannot see anything. The chair is in his face. The driver drives him with the other student. Took him in, got him in from the side, brought him in to renew his passport or whatever the case was, and bring him right back into the yeshiva. And he told them this trip to Tel Aviv, from Bnei Brak to Tel Aviv, which took probably half an hour to each direction, took away 10 years from my Avodat Hashem. 10 years of hard effort to build my holiness went down the drain. They asked him, Rabbi, but you did not see anything. We made sure that you'll be totally isolated from Saddam, from the naked people on the street, from the Mechalelei Shabbat, from all the Reshaim. He said, the air, the air that you breathe over there destroyed your nefesh. The air in Hebrew, you have the word avir, an atmosphere avira. Avir, avira. Atmosphere. And air, same word. Not in English. In English you have hair and you have atmosphere. Complete two different words. No connection. In the holy language, hair and atmosphere, one word. To teach you that if you go to an atmosphere of wicked people, 
all the apikorsim, the atheists, the ungrateful people, the reshaim, people with desires and horrible acts against Hashem, you live a week with them, you become one of them. Don't be surprised all of a sudden why your skirt became so short and the heels are growing by the minute. Why? How you became like this? You grew up in Bet Yaakov, the small strict Bet Yaakov. Today I heard about a girl who went to Bet Yaakov and now in the process of getting married to a goy. Today I heard that. She's married a goy and she's so liberal, anti, you can't even talk to her. Spoke to her parents, will she agree to talk to me? <laughs> they went like this, oh no, no chance whatsoever. Can we give her a book? No. Can we make someone send her a link to my lecture, Intermarriage? When I gave that lecture over 10 years ago here in Brooklyn, in one of the Syrian schools here, I spoke in one of the big schools here, I think it was in Ocean Park, if I remember correctly. There was maybe over 100 guys and girls there. And I spoke for about an hour and a half. You can see it online, Intermarriage. Put Intermarriage, there's white background behind me. Half of the people were crying the entire lecture. Many of them got up and left. They just couldn't take the pain. As I was giving all the sources as what's going to be the end of these Jews that betrayed Hashem and Mary non-Jews, officially married, many of them probably were in relationship with non-Jews. That's why they were crying, because they realized what's they're going to be the price of their actions. Nobody ever told them that until then. And they were crying. And many times we send that lecture to people that already had an engagement date and they canceled it. It's such a painful lecture that once you see all the sources in front of your eyes, one after the other, how much Hashem is upset at you for doing such a horrible sin with all the love that you have to that Goya or to the Goy, Many people, the fear overcome their love and desire. Fear, by the way, it's a very effective energy. I'll give you an example. The Gemara says, if you have a person that is drunk, how are you going to get a person to be normal? It will take three, four hours. Drink the whole bottle of whiskey now. Uh, like this, dancing on the tables. Can you talk to someone like this to drive now? Can he do something? Can he write a check? No, Hashem Yerachem is going to write his life now. Be surprised if you scare him. For instance, just for the argument's sake, you come and say, Oh, Mo, Moshe, Moshe, oh my God, what, what happened? Your son just got hit by a car. What? You won't be, you'll be surprised what the impact it makes on him. All of a sudden, he walks straight. Where, where? Fear make a huge difference in seconds. If it's constant fear, it changes your entire, entire behaving. Your personality changes from one side to another. Of course, you need other things besides fear. Not only fear. But fear is a wonderful energy that pushes you to the right direction. You're afraid to steal. Why? I don't want to sit 20 years in jail. You're afraid to kill someone. Well, I'm going to get the electric chair. You're afraid to do this, you're afraid to do that. How many people, their life got saved because they were afraid of something? 
I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid of my partner, I'm afraid of my competition, I'm afraid of my rabbi. How many times people told me, Rabbi, thank you for saving me. So what's saving you? I haven't seen you for two years already. How did I save you now? You don't come anymore to the lectures. He said to me, I was about to do something horrible, and I remember you, and just the thought, what you would think about me, yeah, when you find out that I did such things, stopped me. That's also fear. One person told me, in young years, a boy that was dating a non-Jewish girl, his father brought him to me. He said to me, don't worry, Rabbi, you don't have to give me all this speech. There's no chance I'll marry her. Love her very much, she's a wonderful person. I will never marry her. If it was up to me, I would marry her, but I would never marry her. So yeah, many people spoke like you. The rest is history, what happened to them. Desires and feelings overcome the judgment and what the Torah say loud, not allowed, you don't care anymore. Why are you in it? It's like a drug addict. That's it. So he told me, no, no, I cannot do it to my father. I cannot do it. I asked him why. He said, my father is such a good person. He was so good to me always. And his father is a Baal Tshuva, American Baal Tshuva, American Ashkenazi. He said, my father is such a good person. I just cannot do it to him. Meaning, not that he's religious. Not that he's a follower of Hashem. None of it. One thing scares me the most. That I'm going to break the heart of my father. And that's so powerful that I'm willing to let go something I love so much and basically in his mind I can't live without her. That's fear, Abutai, fear. In fear, you know, one, uh, one uh, person, a car stopped right on his feet, on his foot. The wheel of the car is on his foot and he picked up the car. How can it be? Four people cannot pick up the wheel. It's a heavy car. Fear, adrenaline, the body reacts in a different way. Nobody understands. Where do you get this power from? I'm telling you, it's a huge energy. So, so like I said, the Rambam said, if you want to be successful, lefichach, therefore, person has to connect himself to the righteous people. To sit by the great rabbis and scholars. Tamid, always. Not in a soccer field or in a baseball field. No. To stick to the right people. You're going to become like them. You will inherit eternity of great pleasure. Why? I see my cousin, one of the most important people on earth, huge chacham, huge kabbalist, huge tzaddik, devoted, attached to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the highest level you can imagine. How he became like that? How? Very simple. He was attached to Rav Ben Zion, Abba Shaul, the legendary number one person on earth for 12 years. That's it. You are attached to the most righteous person in the world, the biggest chacham, the biggest genius, the biggest Baal Midot, the unbelievable devotion for Torah, full of suffering, 
13 miscarriages his wife had. Did not want to enjoy from anyone's gifts. All his life Torah, half a body paralyzed, on a wheelchair. In the funeral of Rav, Rav uh, Yaakov Mutsafi, the Av Bedin of Yerushalayim, he laid like this on his grave and became paralyzed. In the funeral, it was okay. He asked him, what happened? He said, until now Rabbi Yaakov Mutsafi was taking on him a lot of the suffering. This, by the way, explained when I started my lecture about the young man from Bet Gabriel who passed. I started to explain that sometimes everybody wonder why a religious young man in his 30s are dying, father of five or six. Where is Hashem? Where is the justice? Such wicked people continue to be healthy and enjoy every moment and the righteous person gone. It's written clearly that sometimes Hashem take one righteous person that could be equal to a thousand other Jews on a scale, spiritually. So instead of bringing a huge tragedy of a thousand death, he take one tzaddik expressed to heaven. The tzaddik doesn't lose. Don't worry about him. He goes to a very good place. He takes one tzaddik and puts him in a good place in the next world. And by his death, he actually give extension to one thousand wicked people that were supposed to die. This is the way Hashem handles it. And it's written in Shira Shirim. Song of Songs. Dodi Yarad Legano Lilkot Shoshanim. Dodi, meaning Akash Baruchu, went down to the garden to pick up the roses, the millions of thorns. One rose. Pick up the roses. Chazal explained, this is a parable. The thorns are all the wicked people. Plenty everywhere you go. Like weeds growing everywhere. All of a sudden one rose. Very rare. Here one, over there one. Instead of burning thousands of thousands of thorns, Hashem instead take one rose which is equal to all of them combined. The good news is that the soul of the righteous person get a huge reward for it. It's actually being a sacrifice. It's being a sacrifice. Don't get me wrong. All the other people will still get fully what they deserve. They only got an extension to do tshuva, to make repentance. In the end, everybody gets what he deserves. Everyone. No one will get away with one little sin unless he made repentance for it. Nobody gets punished for someone else. We are not Christian. This is a Christian baloney invention. JC, take all the suffering for all of us. How much he suffered for 2,000 years? We're going to murder and rape and smoke drugs and steal. Don't worry, JC has a great tolerance. His account is keep taking all our sins. The Torah says, Nobody gets punished for someone else's sin. You pay, you pay for your own sin. There's no such concept. The Torah say, 
you do not take the punishment for him. You can pray to Hashem, don't punish him, punish me. Okay, that's Hashem's calculation. You want to sacrifice yourself, fine. But that person has to still do tshuva. In the end, when he stands in front of Hashem, he's going to have to pay for what he did. Time is running out and I'm almost finished. So when we actually look carefully, we find what I spoke about in the words of the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Chapter 1, this is what it says. In Mishnah, the seventh Mishnah. Archek Mishachenra. Run away from bad neighbors. And do not connect to the wicked. Be careful who you listen to. One of the things that can affect the soul the most is what goes inside your ears. You listen to an apicoris, to an infidel professor in college. Even when he does not speak heresy right now. Speak about something that is really no heresy. I don't know about medicine, about history. Just the fact that he's a filthy, wicked person that every second of his life goes against God. Listening to his voice going into your soul, into your ears, already made a big impact on you. Don't be surprised if three days later you don't have any desire to make Birkat Amazon. What happened to me? Just a week ago I did Birkat Amazon with such devotion. Now, five seconds. It's over. Why? Because this is what's going inside. It contaminates your soul, your nefesh. Food that you eat. You eat worms? Do you know the damage and the impact it made on your soul? Eating worms. Touching impurity, speaking Lashonara, hearing Lashonara, hearing bad goy song, all kinds of dirty words in it, especially rap music. It's a killer to the soul. Every other word is a curse over there. I'm so allergic to it that I have a guy in, uh, in Florida, really a great guy. I had the merit to make him Baal Tshuva. He was a Jew who grew up with no religion. He's a teacher somewhere. Really a great guy. Believe me, I'm telling you, he's a great guy. He's also following the truth. You see that he has a very good head. He has a hobby. Before he became religious, he was addicted to rap music or hip-hop. Or they have all kinds of names. Now, obviously, he cannot listen to all this garbage. So he does Jewish rap. Meaning all holy words from Psukim, from my lectures. He sent me some of his songs. In the background, you hear my voice. The purpose of life is... You know. And he begs me, please promote me for the Jewish kids that at least they hear what... Meaning these rap songs will educate the children about Hashem. Meaning all he likes is goish things. He goes to public school, this 15 years old kid. Now he's going to start listening to my rap music. What is he going to hear? There was a God and he made you and he made the world and there was Abraham. That's what his song's about. So as soon as I play the tune, before he begins to talk, as soon as I hear it for five seconds, I want to vomit. Right the way I shut it off. For years, it's going back and forth. I know you hate rap, I know, but you should give a chance to my music. I said, listen, I can't stand it. Can hear it. Just the tune of it. 
The people that invented it, the most wicked, filthy people in history, can't even hear the tune of it. Why? It's impure. It's not coming from a good source. The Rav Nachman Mibreslev said that you listen to even Goish melodies, it's affecting you. Not only bad words. Even some says when they know they don't mix Kabbalah, that you can take non-Jewish melodies and put holy words in it. You kosherize the song. That's why Sephardim and Ashkenazim, many of the davening tunes come from non not good, good sources, meaning a lot of the Sephardi prayers, you can go to the shuls here, it's melodies from Farid el-Atrash, an Arab Druze from Egypt, a guy. He had a lot of nice melodies. They took his melodies and made it, it got it's words from the tefillah. But the melody come from Arab goyim, or from other goyim. The Ashkenazim from all kinds of opera tunes and stuff like that. But holy words. The only one that at least had good nigunim is the people that played the music of Karlibach. There was a rabbi, a Shomer Shabbat, Jewish man, you know. By the way, it was his yard a few days ago. He made a lot of wonderful melodies that came from a very good heart, good Jewish neshama of loving Jews and loving Hashem. And I once told you that once I heard in a radio, in a radio show, middle of the night, there's some kind of a show, that uh, one Hasidish guy, he was, a ho he was a guest in one of the, of the radio shows, Rav Shlomo Karlibach. And one Hasid, supposedly from Brooklyn, called live and attacked him on live, on live radio. He told him, I want to ask you one question. Who gave you permission in the middle of your concerts when women dance in front of you to hold their hands and this? What is this? The Torah allowed mixed dancing? The Torah allow you to sing when women dance in front of you? So he told him, I do it for Kiruv. Well, I, I, go to, I care about the women. I want to play through my music and the holy words. A lot of people became Baalei Tshuva. It's a fact. The Hasid was not a fool. He knew Torah, and he told him, I'm sorry, where does it say in the Torah you're allowed to make sins to make Baalei Tshuva? It's not allowed. You can do it in a kosher way, do it. You cannot do it in a kosher way, you're not allowed to do it. You can't offer kids drugs in order for them to come to Shiur Torah. That's a sin, that's not a mitzvah. Mitzvah Baba Averayna mitzvah. You can't feed them non-kosher food to attract them to come. You cannot give them all kinds of things that it's against Hashem because you have a, an agenda. One day you want to make them Shomrei Shabbat. You cannot allow the women to dress in a bad way just because you want them not to hate the religion. There's no such thing. You don't ever bring the religion level to the people's level. You have to bring them up to the level of the religion, not the other way around. That's a false kiruv. That's why a lot of these American organizations is a total waste of time and money. Taking all the American students to Israel, sitting on the beach, kumzis, guys and girls. There's now one Baal Tshuva in 20 years from there. And millions of dollars went to the garbage. Why? Because not one of them understand that if I stay the way I am, I'm going to pay such a price. I have no idea. Ah, oh, Judaism is a wonderful folklore. Stephen! What did you learn from your trip to Israel? 
I saw wonderful places, I saw some Jewish history. Wow, beautiful. But how did you understand that you have to change the way of life? How did you understand that you have to start keeping Shabbos and do this and do that? Nothing. I enjoy the trips, we enjoy, and we, when we come back, he goes to college, and Hashem Yerachem, what happened to these Jews in the end? So Rav Shlomo Karlibach answered that Hasid, something that to admit shocked me completely. While, until that moment, I say, wow, this Hasid is standing for the truth of the Torah. Kol HaKavod, I, I was thinking to myself. Well, when he gave him that answer, it froze me. I never forget it. You know, when you have something that impacts you, you never forget where it was in a gas station, when pumping gas, listening to it. Well, this is it. So the, the Rav Shlomo Karlibach told him, I know, this is his words, I know I'm going to get burned in hell for this. But it's worth it for me to get burned in hell and to save few lost Jewish souls. If that's the price, I'm willing to take that punishment. That's when it shows you that the person makes sometimes something that the Torah does not allow, but the, what's behind it was a very, very pure thought or good intention. Don't get me wrong, it's still not allowed. I did not say it's allowed. And the answer that he gave in a court of law in Hashem will not dismiss him from a punishment. But either though, even though he is going to have to pay for whatever he did, one good thing is also going to get a huge reward for it. That you were willing to suffer in Auschwitz just for saving some Jews. Because Hashem gives a punishment and reward exactly, precisely to what you deserve. And sometimes for one transaction, you get a punishment and a reward at the same time. Because Hashem see, and I can prove it to you, someone that steal a sheep and someone that steal a cow, who gets a bigger punishment? Huh? Who pays more? One, times, one of them pay four times more, one pay five times more. Who? The one that steals the sheep, he puts it on his shoulder and runs quickly. The, huh? the, yeah. the one that takes the cow, nobody knows, he's stealing it. The one that carries the sheep, he runs. People know he's a thief, he gets embarrassed. What do I care? This is a thief and this is a thief. But this thief, in the middle of his crime, he has shame that gives a discount from the punishment. You make a scene, you're not enjoying the scene. Why? Because you have a huge embarrassment. You're embarrassed from Hashem, you're embarrassed from your rabbi, you're embarrassed. It takes away some of your punishment. Because shame is the main punishment in the next world. Now I'll tell you another story. If we mention already Rav Shlomo Karlibach, this story will knock you out. Rav Shlomo Karlibach every week was on a different flight. He was the rabbi on the plane, non-stop. I asked his daughter one time in an interview, where is your husband, in the, where is your father in these days? She say, my father lives on a plane. He doesn't have a home. Where is his home? On a plane. Most of the time he's on a plane, from here to there. No. He was on a plane, 
and there is a student Hearst over there, a woman. She serves him very nicely. Give him this, give him that. What is this Goya? It's so nice to me. Then he saw, she takes out a Sidur, and she davens. <laughs> she davens Shmonaisri. Kathy, her name. Kathy is not a Jewish name. Catherine, Kathy. She doesn't look Jewish. Praying like a Jew. When she finished, she asked her, excuse me. I mean, I'm sorry that I'm asking, but are you Jewish? She said, no, not yet. So he said to her, so what, are you in the process of converting? She said, I'm dating a Jew. But, uh, you know, his family does not want me. They say that even if I'll convert, they still refuse to let him marry me. That's the situation. But I'm going to do it anyway. I, I do it for the truth. I love Judaism. I can't imagine myself staying a non-Jew. So she was so nice to him. I said, okay, let me, let me speak to... Oh, she said, can you help me? Maybe you call the parents and talk for them. He took the number. He called up the, the house. And he said, it's a very nice woman. She's going to be Jewish and this and that. The father said, no, we don't want to hear about it. We are from the Holocaust. We went through so much. We will not agree. After he, you know, after he tried everything he could, he failed. Then he called her back to tell her that he did not succeed. And who picked up the phone? Her father. He picked up the phone, he said, hi, my name is Shlomo Karlibar, yeah, yeah. And he says, is Kathy there? No. Who is speaking? Yeah, Shlomo Karlibar. What is it about? I was on a plane, your daughter gave me a number of her boyfriend parents. I spoke to them and unfortunately I was not able to, to fix the problem. So I wanted, uh, I wanted you to know so he said to him, so, he said they, so the guy said, they don't want us, we don't want them. Father this. I want you to know, he said to him, we, me and my wife, raise her like non-Jew. She doesn't know, but we are also Jewish. And not only we are Jewish, we were in a holocaust. And we did not want her to go through what we went through. So she doesn't know. That just that you know. They don't want us, we don't want them. So wait a minute. You're Jewish? Wait one minute and change the whole picture. Scroll back to the father. You're not going to believe what I just found out. He tells him the whole story. I want to organize a meeting between the family while I'm here. Can you come tomorrow night to my hotel room? gave them the address, called back the place, gave them the address. They showed up, they walked into the room, and the two old men, the father of the boy and the father of the girl, they looked at each other, and tears started to fall from their eyes. And he looked at him, he said, Mendel? And he looked at him back and he said, Fischel? I can't believe it. Are you alive all this time? And they started to hug each other and cry and cry. What is this? So we were Hevruta in Yeshiva. 
before the Nazis came and took us apart one day. They broke into the yeshiva, they grabbed him, they grabbed me. And I never knew what happened to him. And he said, I didn't know what happened to him. I was sure he's dead. I was sure he's dead. Then they said something. They said, Mendel, you remember that we shook hands and swore to each other that if we survive the war, we will do everything we can to marry our children? <laughs> Say, yes, I remember. And look how Hashem did this. He made the Jewish guy meet this girl. I don't know where he found her, maybe on a flight. And she's Jewish, Bechlal. Who would believe such a thing? This is a story that he once told. His stories were heartbreaking stories, like in a, in a concert. He has a, he has a story, Yosale Kamtsan Kadosh, you have to hear it. He has a lot of very, very touchy stories. One way or the other, we have rules, and we cannot move, even though we have good intentions. You know what they say in America. The way to hell is full of good intentions. I meant well, I wanted good, I know, but you did bad. You're not allowed to change one tiny rule from the Torah, even if you mean for the, for the best. And Mamash, before we finish, we have to answer one more question, and then we're done. Bezrat Hashem. It's written over here that the angel told Lot, as he saves Lot and his daughters, the brother-in-laws, they didn't believe him that Hashem is about to destroy the place. They said, we have people owe us money. People owe us money. Let us go and collect first. So there's no time. We have to run. And this is what's written. Rabotai, I'm going to read it to you and we finish here. It's written <coughs> that when the angels came to save them, right? Vayomer, it says, Get up and run away from this place because Hashem is about to destroy the city. You're fooling us. No time for jokes. And the dawn came. Sunrise almost. The angels push Lot. Come, take your wife. Take your two daughters before you will die with them. There's no time left. He was collecting his money. Let me take this, let me take that. Wait, wait, let me pack. There's no time. Remember, it's very greedy. The only reason he followed Abraham is for the money. So while he's putting things in his bags, Vayachaziku anashim beyado the angels, they look like people. They come in a custom of people. That's why he was willing to give his daughter for them. He didn't know they're angels. Same thing they did to Avram. They come like Arabs. He thinks they are people that Hashem sent to command. So now he see that they hold his wife's hand. How is the angel allowed to do such a chilul Hashem? Think, people think you're a person. You came in the image of a religious man, right? 
messenger of God, like a prophet. Why are you holding a married woman's hand? One day, one day in, in Sodom and Gomorrah already affected even the angels that do not have Yetzirah to be like them. That's what the Chachamim say. They don't have Yetzirah for women. It's an angel. It doesn't have desires. It's not, it did not come from a desire place. It comes from the atmosphere of the place. Everybody here is a criminal. You stay there for three hours. All of a sudden you eat something not kosher a minute later. Not because, not because you have desire or chas v'shalom yait Hashem or... That's what happened. This is what I explained before. The avira of the place, the atmosphere of the place. You sit in a college with the clowns, with the infidels for four or five years. We came from the monkey, we came this, how come this, how come that? Then you give a speech. Homosexuality and feminism is a wonderful development to humanity. How you become from a Talmud Yeshiva to such a wicked clown? You sit with all the intellectual in the college. Or, like he bragged, I grew up in West Hollywood with all the gays. Meaning, wow, what an honor. No wonder you became like them. No wonder you give speeches that they are righteous. That's the answer, right here. When he became wicked, not when he was in yeshiva, when he decided to be there or to live there or to sit with those people, the kfirah. Someone told me that in his shul, he one time brought a book to teach the people a series. Do you know which book was that? A book about atheism, how to become an atheist. Did you ever hear such thing? Go to any reform synagogue in the world. I doubted very much that there will be any gay reform rabbi that will dare to come and make a series how to deny the existence of God. In supposedly an orthodox shul. How it happens that you come to a lecture and you say, well, if you think the words of Chazal are musky, musty, what's the right word for that? Musty, musty meaning they rust, they have rust, meaning they're old. They're not, they're not applying today. I don't blame you. I myself think like that. This is what Chazal say and Apicores who cannot be a part of the Mishnah Minyan. There's no share to the world to come. When someone come and show you something from the Zohar or from the Gemara or from the Chumash or from the Rambam or from any holy book and he shows you the source or in Shulchan Aruch or in a Zohar, in any one of the acceptable holy books or in a Navi or anything like that, mainly the Gemara conclude everything in it and you say I don't believe in it immediately you fall in a category of minim and apikorsim that the Gemara in Sanhedrin say clearly has no share to the world to come even if they are Shomer Shabbos the Gemara did not say they have no share to the world to come if they are not religious the Gemara in the time of the Gemara everyone was religious everyone kept Shabbos everyone ate kosher everyone was modest Everyone had a beard, and everyone came to pray, and everyone put fill in. 
There's no such thing. Secular anti-Torah people like today. Yeah, there were tzedukim that were arguing about the meaning of the verses. What does it mean that you have to start after Pesach or after Shabbat? But they never denied that the Torah is from Hashem or anything like that. There was arguments about what Hashem meant and this and that. Yes, always. But like today? So the Chachamim saying, Apikores has no share to the world to come. And Laim Chelek Laolam Abad, the Rambam brings it. Aminim Vapikorsim. And Muslim, and someone who tell a Jew to the authorities who report about their money or about this and about that, they have no share to the world to come. I did not write the Torah, you know. I only report to you what it's written. So now I want to ask you a question. They say to Lord, don't look back. Don't look back and don't look at the people. Why? What's the problem if I see how Hashem burns all the wicked people? The answer is, Rabotai, listen carefully. The angels told them, the angel told them, don't look back because you are nothing better than them. You are wicked like them as well. You only getting saved thanks to your righteous uncle, not to upset him to hear that you died. Therefore, you don't have the privilege to see the destruction of the wicked people. So I want to ask you, to see the destruction of the wicked people, it's a gift or it's a punishment based on this? It's a great, it's a great reward. You do not deserve to get that reward because you were supposed to get burned with them. That's why we don't give you permission to see, as it's written in Tehillim, clearly, Be'avod reshaim, Rina, when the wicked people are being destroyed, it's a happiness to the world. Not politically correct faker, oh my God, poor people. What do you mean, oh my God, poor people? Where were you until now when they betrayed Hashem 50 years in a row? and burned the Torah five million times, and promoted all kinds of horrible things, and horrible ideology, and were Mahtiya Rabim. Where were you? Or cooperating with the Hamas to kill us from inside. Oh, now when they get what they deserve, you upset? You're going to get punishment for being upset when they get destroyed. Because you're not a lover of Hashem. When Hashem destroyed his wicked people, you should be dancing. Like Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal said in his speech, when Yossi Sarid and Shulamit Aloni Machshimam, the day they die, everybody in Israel must make a party. They were still alive. In their face he said it. He was not a faker. The day these two wicked people who did everything they can to fight the yeshivot and the Torah and Judaism, in the day they die, everybody must do mishteh, like we make a party when Haman was died in Purim. Say the name of Hashem, everyone goes like this, why? Party? Why? It's not in style. Be a liberal Jew. Cry when the Hamas terrorist was hit. Do you know how many people were upset that the Israeli kills the head of the Jihad? Huh? 
They say Kaddish to the Hamas terrorists in London. Did you know that? A bunch of liberal Jews say Kaddish for the terrorists of the Hamas. This is, so when they get destroyed, we have to cry? You want to be stupid? Be stupid. What do you want from me? I tell you what the Torah says. Rina. Now I'm destroying all these murderers. I'm destroying all these idol worshippers and thieves. You will not see it. You don't deserve that prize. Because you are just like them and you're getting safe thanks to someone else. It's clearly. I read it to you. I'm not making it up. It says, Because he's nothing better than them. He's Abraham. He says, he gets saved from the merit of Abraham. And Lachen, Umemeila, and Loschut Lirot Beporanutam. He doesn't have the merit to see their destruction. And his, his wife turned around. Curiosity killed the cat. Killed Eshet Lot. So now, now he wants to take him to Avram. But Lot has an agenda. He said to him, please, please, don't take me all the way. It's too much for me. I'm an old man to go all the way to the mountain. Please take me to the city of Mitzar. You know? It says, I cannot be next to Avraham Avinu. Because next to him, I'm not a tzaddik. So if you have any favor for me, since you're saving me, can you please, not Mitzar, can you please do not destroy the city of Bela? It's a small city. The plan was to destroy that city. It's in a plan. Hashem sent the angels to destroy all five places. He said, it's hard for me to go all the way up. Please take me to Bela. Why? Bela was 51 years old. The other four cities were 52 years old. How the angel agreed not to kill them? They had less sins. Why? Because one year of sins of so many people, it's a lot. They had a little bit less sins. They were only one year younger. They made the four cities and then they made Bela. And there is another explanation. Abraham could not convince Hashem not to destroy the city because there were no tzaddikim there. So how all of a sudden Lot, which is nothing compared to Abraham, how Lot convinced the angels not to destroy one of the five cities? Abraham were begging Hashem, maybe the tzaddikim there, Hashem said, if there's going to be tzaddikim there, I will not destroy the entire place. Not only the tzaddikim. And in the end, they did not find one tzaddik. So Hashem sealed the verdict. Death penalty. Here comes Lot, Rasha, a judge in a Supreme Court of America who approved gay marriage. That's what they did in Sodom. He's a judge in Stone. Who doesn't care about stealing and doesn't care about anything else? It's Rasha. He was supposed to die with them. He gets saved thanks to Abraham and he's able to change the verdict. What's going on here? Do you understand my question or no? The answer is, Rabotai, you learned from it a lot. 
הגר and Ishmael were begging for a salvation. Ishmael is about to die. She threw him far in a desert that she doesn't see actually that he dies in her hand. It's easier to bury, to, to bear the death of someone when he's a little bit far away and you actually see him dying. It's much harder. So let me put him here that I don't see that he dies. Agar cried for her son, of course. Ishmael cried for himself, of course. It's written in a pasuk. Who did Hashem hear? Agar or Ishmael? Vayishmael kol anar, it says. From here, Chazal explained that if you are sick in a life risk, everyone that prays for you, as much as he care about you, you're going to be devastated if this person died. You cry for him, really, from your heart. I'm begging you, Hashem, please save him. Who's going to help him more? You or him? Him. When a sick person actually cries to Hashem, that's already a part, a major part of his repentance. It can actually cancel the decree. She cried for her son, of course, but she wasn't a criminal here. He was the criminal. He cried for himself, and Hashem heard his tefillah and saved him, and until today we suffer. Same thing, Lot. When Avram prayed to save the righteous, okay, but it's not on my skin. I'm not the one who dies. So as much as I pray for them, I'm not with such a broken heart. Lot that lost everything he had. First, his son-in-laws died. Second, all the money he got, how much he can take with him. It's all burning. And him, the only reason he lives is for the money. That's why he was willing to go years, follow Avraham Avinu for the one day he died that he can get the money. After he finally got the money, he burn all his money. People are dying for a hundred dollars in a robbery. Rich people. Someone comes with a gun. Give me your money. <laughs> Press the button to call the police. He shoots them and kills them. Why? He tried to save a hundred bucks. Or a thousand dollars in a cash register. You fool. You have millions of dollars. Okay, take everything. Take, take the whole cash register. Take whatever you want. Take merchandise. Here, I'm not even looking. Oh, you want to die for money? <laughs> Apparently, yes. I told you the story about someone I knew 25 years ago for beeper, beeper store. For $20 in a register, he got a shot in his leg. Crippled for the rest of his life for 20 bucks, this fool. He opened the store in 10 a.m. A guy came with a gun. Open the register. Give me the money. Press $20. $20. You, you have a gun point to your head? Stinginess is a mental disease, Rabotai. So what happened? Lot is so broken. Now he prays, have mercy on me. I'm already finished. Can you have mercy on me and let me live here and not there? Yes, you can go over there. When your heart is broken to pieces, in one minute of prayers, you can achieve what you cannot achieve in thousands of minutes. You're happy, business is booming, you're a great wife, great children, healthy, everyone bow down to you, the president of the shul, great business, driving your Jaguar. What exactly is to cry for? 
you know, these people, money comes from here, money comes from there, servant, senor, this, that, senor, senor. They sit in the Shabbat meal, six waiters, senor, por favor, this, that. I once went to the house of these rich people in different country. They have a round table. They turn the salads, you know, you don't have to, can you pass me the hummus? There's no such thing. You go like this, the salad goes in circles. Six raiders, senor, senor, senor left, senor right, senor left. They you eat a little bit, they replace the plate. Stop, they're bored. I, cannot, I can eat the same salad with the same fork. I don't need every two seconds to replace. One time I went to, to do Shabbaton in the house of one of the richest Jews in the world. He served gold plates and gold, gold crystal with lots of 24 carats gold. $2,000 a glass. I had a little child with me. I, I see the glass is moving left and right. I know in any minute he's going to knock down the glass and break it, and I'm going to have a nightmare in this Shabbat. So I gave him a plastic cup. On the side, they had plastic cups. I took, I put, I took the glass away from him. This billionaire saw it. He ran to me. Rabbi, Shabbat. I said, Shabbat for me and you. As a little kid, he's going to break the glass. Let him break. For Shabbat, is great. Grabbed it, put it by him. I couldn't enjoy my meat there. <laughs> Worry every second is going to break the glass. Yes. <laughs> so, Rabotai, he lost everything. He's broken. Lev nishbar It's much, much, much harder for a person when his everything is going, working for him. It's much, much harder for him to cry when he pray. I remember in 2008, and we'll finish here. 2008, there was the crash in the real estate market. There is one very, very wealthy family who gives tons of tzedakah. They're very famous all over the world. And they were, I had a student back then that stayed in their house for a while, before he got married. I will never forget, he told me, I pray with this billionaire for a few years in yeshiva every year. Never ever saw him crying like I saw him crying this year. I think, I think it was either Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, I don't remember. But you get the point. So I was shocked. He had to see how he was crying the entire day, non-stop. Why? All the other years, billions were coming from all over. The estate goes up, you make money, tenants, everybody. All of a sudden, everything crash. Your building goes down 60%. You owe money, you have mortgages, you have thousands of employees. I don't have to tell you the stress. He was crying and crying and crying, and it helped. Today, they were 10 times more than 2008. Sometimes it's more to cry. But you have to know when to cry. Do you know, I'll give you an example. There was a city across the lake, and Jews lived on both sides of the lake, and there was a border there. The Jews said, sometimes we have people that we want to bury on the other side of the lake. Would you give us permission to go without a visa? Let's, we don't want to apply. We have a funeral. Let us go quickly, bury him in a cemetery, and come back. They asked the governor. He said, yes, you can give them permission to go to funeral. 
So the Jews, they started to take bodies, they cross the bridge, they go to the other side, bury them in a cemetery and come back. Every day, one or two funerals goes. After a while, in the beginning when the Jews were going, everyone was crying. After a while, the guards, they saw a bunch of Jews <laughs> carrying a, a coffin, and they're all happy, smiling, happy. The police, the, the soldiers, they got suspicious. So what do you got over there? So what do you mean what we got? It's a funeral, it's a dead person. Open it up. Wow, come on, you're embarrassing the dead. What do you mean opening it up? We have a pass to go. Yeah, 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 I have to check what's inside. Open it up. They open it up, tons of they smuggle, diamonds, gold, merchandise. So they, they say, so, uh, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. So all the Jews started to cry. Ah, what's going to be? Have mercy on us. They say, you fools. If you would cry before, you wouldn't have to cry now for the next 20 years. You have to know when to cry. And the answer is, we. When are we going to cry? Yom Kippur, it's a day to cry. If in Yom Kippur you're in a good mood telling jokes, then of course you're going to cry the rest of the year. <laughs> Problems, Rabbi, can you help me out? Where were you on Yom Kippur? Eh, I was dizzy. I was dizzy. Rabbi, it's hard for me to fast, I'm sorry. Why you didn't come to Neila, the most important hour of the year? It can change your entire fortune. Rabbi, it's very hard for me. I don't have my coffee, my cigarettes. By then, my, my... You know it's hard for me to fast. Yes, I know. And he's not lying. But there's only one question. And we finished here. If I would offer him $5,000 to come to shul for Tfilat Neila on Yom Kippur every year, do you think he would ever miss the Tfilat Neila for $5,000 cash? Not only would come, in the end of Yom Kippur, we have to blow the shofar. You would have to see what the tiger is. Hundred times. Wow, you're dead already. Wow, you came back to life. It's all in the head, remember? This lecture, it's all in the head. Thank you very much. We'll see you in Zrat Hashem next Tuesday. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Hanania Ben Akashi.